and bringing peace to that situation. And, but he's also, a lot of times, he's the one who shakes things up too. That God shakes stuff up in our life in order to shake off things in us that aren't for our ultimate best or his ultimate best. He shakes off attitudes, habits, ways of thinking, mindsets, shakes up our relationships, shakes up sometimes our plans and what we, our career, all sorts of things. God has the, the gall, the gall to shake those things up because he wants to leave something that is long-lasting and enduring and really what we were made for and what he made us for. And so we've been talking about that. Um, but today we're looking at the question, kind of taking it the next step, we're looking at the question of who's toppling who. And really, the question of, is the upheaval in your life about the enemy or life, like, shaking you up? Or is there some shaken up that God wants you to take to the world around you? And we're going to be looking at that. And so to kick us off, we're going to look at a scene from one of my most favoritist movies of all time, A Christmas Story. And uh, it's, it's past Christmas, I know, but this scene really fits. And Ralphie's the main character in the story. He's a kid, and he's been getting harassed by the bully Scott Farkas and his sidekick Grover. And so here's a scene where, um, where that story picks up. All right, we got to stop there. So, man, how many of you relate to Ralphie in life once in a while? Like, life's just like beating the snot out of you, and you're getting hit in the face with snowballs. But really, God, and you're going to go home and go, you know, today in church I learned that I should go fight somebody. <laughs> I should go, like, that's, that's not really the exact point. But that sort of transformation is something that God wants to do inside of us, that we find ourselves just getting the snot beat out of us by our enemies and being overwhelmed. But God wants to do something inside of us to where that little red light, that flame turns on on the inside. And it's a God thing where God comes on us and something rises up and we say, we're not going to take it anymore. And we're not, we're not the ones being toppled, but we're the ones toppling the enemy. And that is really what God is all about, because the world and the spiritual powers that are in the world are in defiant rebellion towards God. And they are keeping us many times, they are keeping people enslaved to sin and destruction and broken relationships. And Jesus is all about turning things upside down and freeing people and bringing his kingdom into the world. And one of my my favorite stories in the Bible, I probably say that every week because there's so many great stories in the Bible, but it's, actually this happened twice where Jesus, he did this at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry. He went into the temple, and the temple was the place where God was worshipped, where sacrifices were offered. It was the, the epicenter of, of, of supposed to be where God's presence came to the earth. But there were things, things had been twisted to where it was no longer about the service of God or helping people be right with God, but people were selling stuff and making money and really taking what should have been a God thing and making it about them, which, newsflash, we do that too. But Jesus came into the temple, and he didn't like have a nice little 
discussion with the leaders and those that were selling stuff and twisting things. No, he premeditated, made a whip, and went into the temple and flipped over those tables and drove out the money changers, and he was ticked off. He was kind of like Ralphie in that picture. Like there was a flame in his eye. And he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. This is supposed to be for the world. But you've made it a robber's den. You're taking something that's supposed to be for the good of the world and for the good of people, and you're making it all about you. And that is something that needs to be turned upside down. And Jesus does that. Jesus topples the status quo in our lives. Jesus topples the status quo in the world. And not only does Jesus do that, but as we are transformed, he calls us to do that as well. In Matthew 16, Jesus is, is walking with his disciples, and he asks them the questions. He's, he says, hey, who, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at him and said, you are the Messiah. I believe you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And fl- you're this, you didn't understand this by natural means, but my father revealed that to you. And then he said this in, in verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, which was the name that Jesus had given Peter. It, Peter means rock. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, and really on your life, and, and the revelation that you're living with, and knowing who I am, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You're Peter, on this rock, on your life, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my people, the people of God, my community my, in the world, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's powerful. And if you think about it, step back. When was the last time you saw somebody attacked by a gate? Okay, my 12-year-old son was attacked by a gate. That, you know, it can, those gates can be dastardly, getting your way. But, yeah, but the, the gates don't move. Gates are defensive fortresses. And when he was talking, they were really talking about the gates and the walls that surrounded a city. And this was saying that the gates, the, the walls that surround the kingdom of darkness, they will not prevail against the people of God. And it's not, and we oftentimes are thinking, oh man, like the devil's attacking us and we're on the defensive and we just got to kind of cower and try to, try to avoid, avoid the conflict, avoid, and just, and just try to sort of survive. But Jesus flips it around and says, no, who's toppling who? Your mission is to go attack the gates of hell. Your mission is to topple the institutions and the ways of thinking and the ways of living that are contrary to my kingdom, to my way. And I wants you to, I'm commissioning you to go in the world and turn those things upside down. I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against that. That's different than the way we often think. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, Jesus Christ did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it's quite right. The gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. So the message of Jesus, the the gospel that we live in, it is in conflict with the world. And that doesn't mean that we're like picking fistfights or angry at people. But we know that there are spiritual forces that are the enemy. And God has commissioned his people to turn things 
upside down. And we're going to look at, you know, there's a lot we could talk about, and, and Christians have done this throughout history. Christians have been responsible for the ending of, for, for the ending of slavery in history. Christians were behind the civil rights movement. Way back in Roman times, it was Christians who led to women being honored as full-fledged people. It was Christians who saw children as valuable. It's been Christians who have cared for orphans and widows. It's Christians who have started hospitals and spread medical care around the world. Christians, followers of Jesus, this is in our DNA to topple the brokenness of the world because of God changes us on the inside. But it all starts on a very personal level with us, and it starts when Jesus calls us. And so we're going to look at the story of when Jesus called the first disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. How you guys doing? Is this good stuff? Anybody besides me excited this morning? All right, I mean, I get excited about this. This is, this is awesome. This is, this is the way to live. This is what we were born for. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, because Jesus called him that, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going out from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, James, John, Peter, Andrew. First of all, their lives got turned upside down. Their lives flipped. And there was radical upheaval in their life from what their status quo was to what their new life became when they encountered Jesus. And this is really important because when we really personally encounter Jesus, it changes everything. You can't encounter Jesus and be the same. And it, it changes everything for Peter and James and Andrew and Peter. They went from being fishermen to being itinerant disciples following Jesus. They, they left their occupation. They left their family. They left everything for this, this new life. And sometimes I think we miss this. And I think too often we, I, I hear the idea of, oh, I grew up in a Christian home. Or we were up in Nebraska last week. It's even worse up two hours north of here. It's crazy. But we met so many people that were like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. But then when they were describing their life, there was, it was like, but that doesn't really affect my life right now. I, maybe later that'll affect my life, but that's not really affecting my life right now. That just doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, you know, I'm a Navy SEAL, and I've always been a Navy SEAL but I'm fat and out of shape and spend life playing video games. But I'm a Navy SEAL. It's like, wait, that doesn't equate. But, well, no, but you don't understand. My mom and my dad were Navy SEALs. So, like, I grew up in a Navy SEAL family, so I'm a Navy SEAL, right? No, like, you don't become a Navy SEAL like that. You got to go through your own hell week 
You got to go through your own coming to the end of yourself and having an initiation process. There's no, like, and that's how it is being a follower of Jesus. It's not about your family. It's not about going to church. I used, they used to say when I was a kid, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage. Being in a, a garage makes you a car. That's, that's true. You can be around Christians, family, church. That, but being a Christian, it's a change happening on the inside of you that radically changes everything. And it's, it's not then like, okay, now, like these people, it wasn't like, okay, now I encounter Jesus and I'm going to give 10% of my income to God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start going to church once a week and I'm going to cuss a little bit less. No, that's not what happened. It was a total radical change. And that is the essence of what God calls us into. If that's not what we're experiencing, that's not what it's about. And so, to topple our enemies, we must first, uh, we must have things turned upside down in our life. And to turn things upside down, we must first be a disciple. Just like these men and women, these men and other women became disciples, the call to us is to be a disciple. And that's the word, even, uh, that's the normal word in the New Testament for a Christ follower, is a disciple. It's used 176 times, I believe. The word Christian is used three times. And that was actually, Christian means little Christ. It wasn't what people called themselves. It's what other people called them. So it was like, wow, those people are so radically changed. They're like little Jesus is walking around. They're Christians. That was actually a more radical word, if we understand what it means. And so that's what, that's what God has called us into. To, and, and again, that's not something we can do or manufacture. It can't be like the pastor up here, like, beating you over the head. Like, you need to be more committed. You need to follow Jesus more. Try harder. No, that, that will not do it. But it is encountering God. It is encountering God. I mean, this, this story, there was, if you look at all the Gospels, we see that Jesus had been going around doing miracles, healing the sick, setting demonized people free. He was proclaiming that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. He was going to open the eyes of the blind, liberate prisoners, um, set the captives free, open the eyes of the blind. I already said that, but it's really good. It's, man, and they were like, and this, and Peter, and they had been, they'd been watching. In fact, Jesus had been preaching from Peter's boat that very day. And had, Jesus had a further encounter with him that showed his reality to him. And so there was a personal encounter with God that they realized, wow, you are the king. You are the Messiah. Wow, it did something. And so this is a question of, man, how much am I encountering God? And what is it producing in my life? They gave up everything, not, not 10%. They, they gave up everything they had to become disciples of Jesus. Because when we encounter Jesus, it leads to 100% all in. God, my life is yours. And it begins a lifestyle. The disciple, this is our, our working definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's being changed by Jesus in community with others and is committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who is being changed by Jesus in community with others and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And I know this is what changed my life. And I, I grew up, I did grow up with a Christian mom and dad and, and had some great experiences with God growing up and he was helping me grow and in many ways my parents and others helped disciple me along the way. But when I was in college, I 
became a disciple at a level I never had before. And the way that happened is I met a guy named John McDermott, and he was 11 years older than me, and we met, and he just sort of invited himself into my life. And he just started showing up at my dorm. I could see him out my window pulling up in his 1977 purple Plymouth Duster with huge pink windshield wiper blades on his car. <laughs> and he would just pull up, and this was before 9-11 before and all the security concerns. He would just come in the dorm and knock on my door and start hanging out. And we got to know each other, and we'd, we'd go running together. We'd, we'd go watch movies together. And then we started, a couple of my other friends, we started hanging out, the, the like four of us, and building a friendship. But it was all centered around following Jesus. And he started teaching us about, hey, this is, this is what God's word says to your life. This is, God, this is how you experience more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's pray for that and experience that. Hey, well, how is God using you? How much persecution are you experiencing? Why not? You need to be more bold. What's wrong? Okay, let's go. I was sitting in the, in the cafeteria with John one time, eating lunch, and Someone behind me, so there's a group of guys, and one of them, they were talking, and he, and he just, he, and he used the Lord's name in vain. He said, Jesus Christ. And without a moment's hesitation, Johnny Mac turned around and said, oh, are you guys Christians? I heard you say Jesus' name. We're followers of Jesus, too. You must be believers. And they just, like, it was a little awkward. They just, like, just clammed up and a few minutes later got their trays and walked away. But it was like this environment, like, wow, this is different, and this is the kind of life I want to live. And something began changing in me. Johnny Mac started, like, speaking into my life and saying, you know that way you do that? That's, that is, that's not the way God made you to live. Here's a better way to live. And that, and then the community, the brotherhood, my friends, I mean, we would just remember getting together in our dorm rooms late at night and just, one of these guys had a guitar, and we would just be praising Jesus and worshiping and praying and interceding for our dorm to come to know God, for people to be born again. And something was radically changing in my life in that environment. And it looks different for everybody, but this is the thing God calls us to, is a life of following him with everything that we have, in community with others, where we're learning and growing and being committed to his mission. And it's disciples who are changed, first of all, and that's an intentionality. There's a, disciples are being changed. They're learning to apply God's word to their life, and not just in our heads, but in our lifestyle. We're really, this next series that we're kicking off next week, the, the keys to transformation. It's really all about the lifestyle of a disciple. It's how God changes us from the inside out. It's how we not only are born again, but then his spirit transforms our thoughts and our emotions and our lifestyle and how the word of God works, how the Bible works in that, how prayer works in that, how community works in that, how our faith grows in that. So sign up, get in a group, do the, go through the book, because it's, it's, this is the lifestyle that everybody's called us to. Um, so disciples grow, and disciples not only grow themselves, but the world around them changes too. We like the, the saying around here that Christians go to heaven, disciples change the world. And going to heaven is great. I mean, that's, I want to go to heaven. It's, it's a zillion times better than the alternative, all right? And it's important. 
But that is not the end-all, be-all. And what God has called us to in this life and for eternity, actually, is to see his kingdom coming on the earth and heaven and earth coming together. And disciples get to not be just, not just spectators, but participants in that transformation process of the world. And so we got to become disciples. And then, you know, what, what did Jesus say to them? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You've been fishing for fish, and that's all well and good, but there's something better. I want to use your life to influence the lives of other people around you and to see them go from where they are and to come into my family, come into my community, come into my purposes, to become part of this process of changing the world too. And so the way we take it to the world, the way the world system is toppled is by us becoming disciples and then by us making disciples. The same way that we become a disciple, every one of us has the commission from God to make disciples of others, just as these first disciples did. In Matthew 28, we, we get the great commission that Jesus, Jesus gave to his, his first 11, and he gives it to all of us. And I just want just to read it here. Jesus came and said to them, All authority, say that, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to him. And then he takes that authority, and his authority is, what he wants to do with it is change the world. He is committed to discipling the nations, to seeing the nations transformed, to seeing things change in the world around us. And it's important that we understand that the, the good things in the world today are a direct result of disciples of Jesus following him and taking the gospel around the world. That brings spiritual freedom, that brings economic freedom, that brings medical breakthrough, that much of what we live in today is the result of previous generations taking, being transformed and bringing that into the world. Go therefore. And, but it's, I love how these, Jesus is getting ready. These are his last words to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And if they were anything like you and I, then they were feeling a little insecure by that prospect. And, oh, Jesus, you're leaving us? Like, who do we got? <laughs> like, I know these other ten guys. <laughs> like, that's, this is, this is it? But Jesus was commissioning them in his authority to carry out his mission to change the world. And a lot of times, we can feel like, oh, man, I, I need to put all my energy into defense, into just like trying to resist temptation or overcome my battles or fears and just try to withstand the, the, the tough stuff that life and the enemy is bringing against me. But a lot of times the best defense is a good offense. 
Now we saw that with Ralphie. You know, his best defense was to go on the attack against Scott Farkas. And you don't need a defense when you're like bringing that kind of offense. I mean, it almost, last year the Chiefs had the worst defense in the NFL and they were one play away from the Super Bowl because their offense was so stinking good. One play, one guy lining up in the neutral zone. They would have, just because their defense was so, their offense was so good, they almost overcame the worst defense and made it to the Super Bowl. And praise the Lord, they're going to the Super Bowl this year. So that's, their defense got a little better and their offense is still good too. So this is, God wants to put us on the offensive. And again, we have to know that it's, it's his authority. Right? This isn't just us. This isn't just us trying to be strong, trying to look in the mirror and tell ourselves how brave we are. But it's his authority that he gives to us and that getting inside of us and us going out in that authority. Um, and it's really less complicated than we sometimes make it to be. Last week or two weeks ago, several of us went to a leadership seminar that was at, seminar that was at Manhattan Christian College. And it was led by our good friend Jeff Smith, who was part of our church until a month ago when their family moved to Dallas. And Jeff consults, he travels and consults businesses all over the place in, in leadership and management principles and helping their cultures grow and flourish. And so this was a, a seminar that was, that was open to, to anybody. So a few of us went. And he started off, the most impactful part of the seminar for me was he asked the question to everybody in the room, who's been the person who's impacted your life the most? And, hey, thanks, Ian. They, um, who's impacted your life the most? And think about that. And then he asked, okay, can you name who was the, who was the MVP of the NBA last year? You know, most of us don't even know. Who won the last two Nobel Peace Prizes? You know, probably a little sadly, most of us don't know that either. You can look at all these people that are great, the greatest accolades in the world, and people do have a big in impact, that's great. But the people who really change your life the most are not those superstars. It's a, a friend, or a mom, or a dad, or a grandmother, or somebody who just cared enough about you to get in your life and help you. And take, take what they had from life, take what they had from God, and just give their time and open up their life to you to help you. And that's really what this is all about. We don't have to be professional speakers or actors or we don't have to be the top of our field. I mean, those things are all great. And we want to see people raised up to be making a difference in their fields, that, that's all part of it. But really what really changes the world the most is one person who cares for another person and adopts them into their life and then helps pass on what they have. And that's what disciple making is all about. It's just what I experienced with, with Johnny Mac and, and others. Um, you know, that's, that's who's impacted our life the most. I, I could tell so many stories about that. 
But the, the relationships that I have, the, the most impactful stuff that I've seen in the world is through that happening. I recently um, was talking to an old friend of mine, a guy named Nurgazi, who I met, he was an international student from the nation of Kyrgyzstan, which is a Muslim nation. And I met him when he first came here, and he was studying political science because he wanted to go into politics. In our first conversation, I said, hey, I was interested in poli-sci too. I thought I would have thought about going into politics. He said, oh, well, why, did you do that? I said, no, I, I, I felt like for me, what God had for me was that I could influence the world more by working with college students and international students included and help them become who God made them to be and then prepare them, help them go out into the world and politics and whatever else God has for them. And Nergazi looked at me, and he wasn't yet a follower of Jesus, and he said, well, you can train me. And that started a friendship. And a few months later, he became a believer. And he was, like in many ways, my favorite disciple ever, because he, uh, he was obnoxious. And he just like wouldn't leave me alone. He would just show up at my house and call me all the time. And hey, what are we doing? What are we doing today? What are, we, what are you doing now? I'm coming. What are we, I'm with you. What are we doing? And just like hours and hours of conversation and hanging out and relationship building and growth. And he ended up um, spent a few years here, really grew as a disciple, did a lot of training, did a little ministry, um, actually helped here at K-State when we first started, and then moved back to Kyrgyzstan, where he started a couple businesses. He's employed hundreds of people in his businesses. His, his wife now has the, the number two blog in the whole nation, where she, she writes about issues for women, about beauty and identity, and just this great stuff. And, and Nurgazi's telling me, he's like, hey, look, I want you to come. I'm like, I'm just getting started. Like, things are just opening up to make disciples in Kyrgyzstan. Like, can you come here? Like, I want you to come twice a year. I'll pay for your ticket. Like, just come, help me. I'm like, that sounds awesome. I just, like, I need to figure out when I can get away. But it was all just like the simple, like, one-on-one -on -one relationship, pouring your life into somebody. That's how it happens. And so that's really how we take it to the world. We are disciples and we make one disciple. And, and for us as a church, we say this, that winning for us at Bluemont is every member making one disciple every two years. That's what we see as winning, is that everyone being a disciple and everyone exercising our faith and reaching out to those around them, and that's being a friend to somebody and looking for people that are, that have, that are open to God and then helping them take whatever we have and passing it on to them and seeing that process reproduce. And that's how the world is turned upside down. Uh, I want to read, to close with one more story from, from the Bible. In Acts chapter 17, we see a few years later how this process has been unfolding. And Jesus has gone back to heaven. The, the original 11 have been going out, spreading the word, loving others, making disciples. And they're going around the world now. And in the city of Thessalonica, this is modern-day Greece, let's just read this. Now, when they had passed through Amphilios, Amph Amph I'm not even going to try to say that word, and Apollonia, Apollonia 
they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so they brought the message of Jesus. They found some people that were receptive among the Jewish community, and they became disciples too. But, verse 5, the Jews, others among the Jews, and especially the leaders, were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And how that's, that's what they said about the followers of Jesus. These are men and women who have turned the world upside down. And that's in our DNA as Christ followers. That as we follow him in this mission, there's something about that that topples the status quo of the world around us. And it went on, um, verse 7, And Jason has received them. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. You know, there's, there's something about the message of Jesus and him being king that brings upheaval. It brings upheaval to the status quo. You can't just continue on with business as usual. There are, people have to come to a place, and we have to come to a place of decision, of am I following Jesus? Am I living for him? Am I a disciple? Or am I going to continue on in my own way? And so this morning, I want to leave us with that, that, you know, where, where are you all? Where are we all? Have you responded to the call for Jesus to be your king, your Lord? Are you able to, to confidently say, hey, I am a disciple of Jesus. My life is radically different. By the grace of God, he has saved me, and I, have, I believe in him, I'm following him, and my life looks different. And in community with others, I am growing and living this out enjoying his mission. Now, if, if you can say that, I know a bunch of us can, and that's awesome. And, if, and let's, let's, that is a daily decision. If you've never come to that place, man, today's a day where you could say, yes, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to follow him and be able to be confident that I'm his disciple. Um, there's also the call to us to, to be 100% in the game of making disciples of others, of being about, okay, who's my one? Who's that one person? That, God, give me one person that I can love on and care about and pour my life into. God, how can I, how can I do that? Who is that person? I, Lord, I want to grow. I want to be in that process. And that takes stretching. I know for me, I've found one of the biggest challenges to that is I just, just the busyness of life. And I felt really uh, just stirred by the Lord this year to engage in more conversations with more people. Way more than I have before. My goal this year is to have 100 conversations with new people who I didn't know about God. And I've developed this little new survey I'm using called Manhattan Wants to Know, where I'm going out and talk, talking to people about what, they, what they're curious about and what they think about God and seeing who wants to know more. 
And so far, I've talked to 12 people, and it's been the best part of my year. And I'm just excited about doing that. If you want to join with me, I'm looking for some partners, so hit me up. Um, excited about that. But how are? But it looks different for every one of us. And that how how can we be a part of this mission of making disciples? Um, but as we do, man, it is it is just so cool. I mean, I love being in this room because I know this is what we're all about. And these are people like this Sunday morning gathering is real people who have encountered a real God and he has changed us and he is changing us and others' lives are being impacted as well and that's what really changes things. Um, we're going to talk more about that this afternoon at our vision and prayer time. So uh, some of the testimonies about what God is doing and some more details. So come to that. Um, pray and also just praying together for that to see God do what he wants to do. Um, I'm going to pray for us and just encourage you, wherever you're at, to let's respond to the Lord and what he's leading us into to be a part of, of toppling things and toppling the status quo. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we honor you today as the Messiah the one who frees us, the one who transforms us from the inside out, the one who changes the world and invites us and involves us in that process. And Lord, we, we just say today that you are worthy. You're worthy because of who you are. You're worthy because of what you've done your death on the cross for our sins, your resurrection to bring us new life, your empowerment through the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you give us the grace. And Lord, I, I even pray today that you would even continue to increase our love for you and increase our love for others. Lord, we know that unless unless your love gets a hold of our heart, or that we can't love others. And our ability to, to love other people is directly proportional to how much your love is growing in our hearts. So God, would you increase that? God, give us more of your heart for the world around us, for people around us. God, we thank you. Lord, we ask you for your empowerment. Lord, I just pray for this room full of people whose hearts are for you, whose hearts are for others. And God, we ask you that you would empower us, that you would, you would enlarge our hearts, Lord, we ask you to, to show us the right people to love on the best. And Lord, we pray for them right now. We pray for Manhattan. We pray for people around us, Lord, that you're drawing into your family. God, we thank you that you're always doing that. We thank you that a year from now, we're going we're gonna to be new people in this room who were totally lost today, but they're not because of you. God, even right now, Lord, help us to see those people in our mind's eye. Lord, and thank you. Thank you for your empowerment. Thank you for your transformation. Thank you for you doing it. We trust you for that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. All right. Eddie's going to bring us home. Yeah, it's funny because